this evening, we are going to do what we uh, did a little while back and uh, uh, bring two songs together, uh, a song that we had not done before, uh, it, and uh, we're going to tonight bring our look at the uh, Psalms of Ascent to a conclusion, but we're going to look at Psalms 131 and 134, both very short psalms, but uh, Psalms that uh, I think have a lot to say. And I want to bring these two psalms together in this way. Looking at the heart of the servant of God. The heart of God's servant. What it should look like. And the duties of God's servant. So let's read uh, uh, these uh, together. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the uh, to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Well, we've been uh, looking at uh, uh, a couple of similar themes over the last, over today. This morning we were thinking about the temple. In fact, uh, Peter was uh, preaching up in Alberton. Uh, this morning on uh, Isaiah's great encounter with God uh, in the temple, seeing the vision of God and God's holiness and how uh, Isaiah was reduced to nothing. I am undone, for I have seen the Lord. And uh, and we were looking this morning, we hear in Second Chronicles 29, at uh, Hezekiah's desire in his first uh, action as king. The first day of the first month of the first year of his reign to go into the temple and let the nation know that his priority was going to be God. And we saw that that is a, an eternal principle. The world has changed greatly, hasn't it, since Hezekiah's day, 2,800 years ago. Wow, you might think, well, that, that has nothing to say to me today. But we saw that though the, the theme of worship through Jesus, carries on into the New Testament church because now we are the temple of God, the church is the temple of God, and what goes on in these temples in our hearts and minds matter to God. And so we saw that uh, as we begin 2022, we have a real priority to root out those things within the, the uh, rooms of our heart that are offensive to God. Just as Hezekiah looked at the temple, he said, this place is filthy, it's dirty, it's full of idols. That has to go because this is where God's name is. God is to be worshipped and glorified in this temple. And we saw that that call exhorts the New Testament church then, in, uh, many years later, uh, that they make similar reforms because they are God's chosen people. As the chosen of God, this is the way you're to live. This is what your heart ought to look like. And uh, so the, the, 
theme of temple worship, whether it be the temple of Hezekiah or this temple, uh, it is, is very much prominent today. And as the pilgrims, the, that's what these psalms of ascent are all about, um, uh, as the pilgrims made their way, uh, they also had to take stock of where they were going and what they were going to be like when they got there. How would they act? Uh, what would be their heart before God as they committed to the temple precincts? And there was lots of excitement as they went. Maybe you feel that way as well when you're going. Uh, maybe to meet someone important or you're going to a very important event. Well, how will I be prepared for this? What will I be like when I get there? What will what will all the excitement do to me? Will I be overwhelmed by it? Will I be taken up by things I ought not to be taken up by? Or will I be able to keep my mind focused on what's uh, important? And uh, so the, the, these are included in the Psalms of Ascent. We're going up to Jerusalem. It's a pilgrimage. And these are pilgrim songs. We're all pilgrims tonight. We pilgrimed from uh, our homes here this evening. We journeyed, didn't we? And the roads weren't too good. And I'm very appreciative to see everyone here tonight. So thank you for coming. Uh, but that's that's another story altogether. Uh, but our lives are a pilgrimage. And there's lots of, you know, uh, tricky roads along the way where we can get into danger. There's distractions, there's potholes, there's lots of difficulties. and But we're going on a journey. That is the point. Are you, this tonight, on that road? Are you on that journey this evening? Uh, or are you on another road? Uh, you know, we, we might all be here tonight, but we might be on, on different paths. I hope we're all on the same road. I hope we're on the same highway going to the same place. Well, these people were. And they, there was a whole collection of songs that we've been studying over these last number of months that these pilgrims sang as they went to Jerusalem, as they anticipated being there. I joyed, went to the house of God, for what they said to me. Well, where are we going? We're going to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're going to the kingdom of heaven, as we read in Psalm uh, or Hebrews chapter 12. You have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, and so on. And so uh, it's important then, as we saw this morning, what the heart ought to be, the chamber of the temple. What is in that chamber when we open up the doors? What do we see? What does God want to see in that? Does he want to see pride and ambition? Or what is it that he looks for? Well, it's incredible when you read a song like this, to, to say that not only that this is the way the song is spelled, but he gave this song to the people to sing so that they might learn that this is the way they ought to be as well. It's, a, it's an incredible song of David, who was a king, and yet he describes himself in such very humble terms. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. In other words, the heart of a servant of God ought to be a humble one. That pride has no place in God's 
of presence. And again, if you get a chance, Peter's uh, message is on the Alberton website. Peter's talking about uh, mirrors this prophet Isaiah, who whose very purpose was to to speak with his mouth. And when he was in the presence of God, he saw his own filthiness. And he was humbled. I am destroyed, for my eyes have seen the king. I have seen the Lord. And he was immediately humbled. That was a right response, wasn't it? Any one of us would be the, the same. That we would be on our face before God. And so you can understand why David says, my heart is not lifted up. I don't come with uh, a presumption to tell God what I think my life should be like. Or dictate to God how things should go. My heart is not lifted up. In other words, I'm not in the driver's seat. David saw that, you remember? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 132, which is reminiscent of 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God, David says to, to Nathan the prophet, I want to build a house for God. I've got it in my heart, I want to do it. Nathan says, good, go and do it. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet and said, say to David, did I ever ask you for a house? No, I, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. And David doesn't push back and say, hang on here. No, he, David humbly accepts the rebuke of God because he knows that God knows best for him. He's not driven by personal ambition. You see, a lot of people do that. They have a vision for their lives, and they just, whenever it's convenient, they just push on in the way. They will, they will humor him. They will make sure that he stays in the right place along the way. So they'll, they'll put up with God, but then when God starts to interfere with their plans, they push God aside because their hearts are lifted up. They feel they know better than God. Well, God, this is what I want. This is what I've been gunning for all my life, and it seems like you, you're trying to push in on me. You're trying to edge in on me and push me out of the way. And God, through that, is saying, where is your heart? Is it lifted up against me? Do you really share my priorities when it comes to marriage, when it comes to the job that you take? People just push through. Well, I'm a believer, but this person is not. But I, it doesn't matter. Or here's this job. I know that there's certain moral compromises that I go with, but still, this is what I want. This is my dream job. This, this is what I, I really desire. It could be any number of things where God is putting his finger on it and says, is that what I want you? Is there some, something in this situation that's drawing you away from me? Well, maybe there is, but that's life, I guess, isn't it? David, at any given moment, was ready to say, yes, Lord. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. 
I'm ready to say as the apostle, as, as Job, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, you see the attitude. The, the true worshiper is able to say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto you be the glory. Not my will, but your will be done. Isn't that the way Jesus clothed himself? He clothed himself in humility. That's what one person has said. And who I'm actually quoting here says, When the God-man walked the earth, this was his robe. No showiness marked his lowly walk. His words were, I am meek and lowly of heart. Which is the theme that the, of the book that the ladies are doing. Meek and lowly. Looking at the character of Jesus and our invitation into that character, but also to be transformed by the loneliness and the meekness of Jesus. And to see how that loneliness and meekness actually lifts us up out of the pit of despair and, and, and desolation. It's not a weakness in Jesus. It's his glory. And this is what we see in the psalmist here makes us like Christ. That's the true heart of the worship. My heart, Lord, is not lifted up. I am in daily contact with God. I, this is, these are my plans, but I'm ready to say at any given moment, Lord, if you want my plans to change, if you want me to stop doing this or doing that, I will because I am not Defined by this. I'm defined by you, Lord. You define me. You're the one that saved me. I don't even own myself. I'd be in hell right now if it weren't for the fact that you saved me. So, Lord, right do I have to dictate to you where I will go, what I will do, how I will do for him? See, that's what he's saying, and that's why this is is such an important psalm. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. This psalm also looks forward to what we studied in Matthew, where they asked who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You remember that the disciples, oh wow, there. They were the antithesis of this, weren't they? Oh, Lord, my, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised. Oh, they, they were, that's the opposite of them. James and John send their mom over to Jesus and say, you know, when you come into your kingdom, let my son sit on one side and my other son sit on the other side. And then as they were walking along down the road, they were arguing with one another, pushing one another. Oh, yeah, who do you are? I am going to be the one. He's going to call on to be the secretary of finance. I'm going to be the fence minister. I'm going to be the this, that, and the other. What, what was going on? Their hearts were proud. They weren't. And Jesus saw an ugliness in them. Ugly. What is this that we talk about as we walk along? And they didn't want to say because they were. Because they were 
talking about who was going to be the greatest. Jesus takes a little child and he says, this is the way you're to walk before me. Unless you receive the kingdom of a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't be my disciple if you're not, if you don't have the heart of the child. The heart of the child is always waiting upon their parent. What do you want me to do, mom? Where, where are you now, mom? Or dad? They're, they're always looking for them. Where do they go? I need you. What, I need to hear your voice. I need to feel your embrace. All they know, all they, they're not looking to enter into the ambitions of life. They just want to hear mom and dad's voice. They want to hear them, feel their embrace. They want to know that they're there to close them. And the psalmist here is saying, this is the way I want. This is the way I want to be. If God chooses to take my kingdom, so be it. That's the way David lived here, didn't he? David didn't seek the throne. Even when David was, I mean, he he, he was given it. He, he took it when he was given it. But he was a he was a shepherd boy following the sheep. And then when God came and anointed him, it was many years after that he actually came in and he would not take it by force. Even when Saul, the, David's men had Saul in the cave. All by himself. He said, Take him now. Get him. You can destroy him. David said, I will not lift up my hand against the Lord's mother. He's God's man for now, not me. David exercised a spirit of humility, didn't he? A spirit that comes through trusting that God knows what he's doing. And he wouldn't take it in a wrong way. He wouldn't try to get it in a way that would leave marks upon his reputation. No way. Nor on the reputation of God. And that's the way we ought to be ourselves. As we get into the house of God, as we worship God, we come humbly. Say, Lord, I'm ready for that change. I'm ready to hear your voice. Whatever you say tonight, Lord, whatever you say this morning, Lord, I'm ready to do it. Where we have to be. That's where we have to find ourselves. That's how we hear the word of God. To be able to say tonight, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. And to be ready to go out and say, Is my heart lifted up against God? Do I, every time I hear the gospel, push him away and say, Look, he is threatening my Idols. He is threatening the things that I hold dear, that I want to do, my course of life, and how I want to live life. Oh, it's wonderful to see in the Bible people whose lives were just radically changed when they heard the voice of God. They, can't, they couldn't go on. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting at the tax booth, said he'd get up and he'd follow Jesus. Zacchaeus, the the thieving tax chief of the tax collectors, when he knew the love of Jesus, his life was turned upside down. He left all he followed. The disciples, when they heard the call, they were fishermen. They had a good cooperative fishing enterprise on the shores of the Galilee, and they just dropped their fishing gear. Can you imagine? Imagine going to any of the fishing ports around the Galilee. It seems 
abandoned boats, $100,000 boats, and all gear sitting there, the boat's still running idly. And if you say, well, what happened to these guys? Why is all this stuff abandoned to their captain? Well, some guy just called them. They just dropped everything and they went. That was their living. They had just caught a huge catch of fish. So much so that the nets were breaking. There they were ready. When Jesus said, follow me, they obeyed and followed him. And so the psalmist comes into the temple and says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. That's the fine balance. You see, God's not saying to us, Don't take a good job. That's not, I don't hear me saying that tonight. Or don't follow the things that you want, you want to do in life. Please don't hear me saying that either. But he is saying that. At the end of the day, it is whatever the will of God is for us. If we feel that this is God's will, no matter what the cost over here, to be able to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. In Micah, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require, but to do justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. It's a spirit of readiness. It's an attitude of, I am on earth and God is in heaven. He is my creator. I am the creature. I am sinful. He is holy. He is infinite. I am limited. You see, it's, it's, and it's, it, it's looking at things in that way. Augustine said, as a tree must strike a root deep downwards, that it may grow upwards. So a man's spirit must be rooted in humility. Isn't that a beautiful saying? As a tree must strike a root deep down. Why? Why must it go down so that it may grow up? Why must this attitude of humility be uh, such a component part of us that we might grow? And so James says, humble yourself in God's presence and he will exalt you. What a beautiful thing humility is before God. God is recording that in his word because it's a beautiful thing to him. He loves to see people in disabled church. Whenever God puts his finger on something for them to say, yes, yes, in your infinite wisdom, and according to your love and goodness and power, I say yes. Now, there's many, a million different ways in which you can apply that. And, and it's all, all different here tonight. There's different things in our lives that God can, you can apply that to. But that's the task, isn't it? It's, the task is for us to go from here with this word and say, Lord, how is it with me tonight? In this situation that I'm in, in my designs for myself, where my career is taking me, where my life is taking me, what does it mean to you, Lord? And there we are safe. It's, we're safe there. Not only is humility beautiful to God, but it's, it's safe for us. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards said, nothing puts us under the devil's reach more than humility. 
It says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. One person has said that a nursing child is highly aware of the milk that the mother can give and will cry if denied. A child who has been weaned is content just to sit. They're content. They're not agitated. They're not crying out. But the weaned child is happy just the way it is, just to be in the presence of its mother. Tim Keller here says that we so often approach God only for what he can give. We're like the nursing child. In that sense, we're always wanting more, always crying out for more. But here, the picture is rather resting simply in his presence. That's what Keller goes on to say. We often approach God for what he can give us. There's a very pragmatic approach to church and to God these days. Does it work for me? Does it work for me? It's not whether God says it and therefore I do it. It's, does it work for me? Do my prayers work? Do I get answers to my prayers? If I don't, well, I'll just put God uh, in, in the waiting room. But the, the psalmist says here, I'm like a weaned child. I'm content. I'm just content to be in God's presence, knowing that whatever he gives me or doesn't give me, I am content to worship him for who he is and not what he gives me all the time. Even if my life is up or down, it doesn't matter. He's worthy, and that's all I need to know. Right? Worthy is the Lamb. That's the basis of our worship. We praise him for who he is, not for what necessarily he does for us. Well, he does many things for us, and he's worthy of praise for that, but even if he does nothing for us, answers none of our prayers, he is worthy of all praise and glory. And the psalmist says, look, my heart's like a wee child. I'm not squirming, I'm not crying out for God to give me more and more and will only be satisfied when you give me everything I, I, my heart's desire. No, he says, I'm like a wean child. It's content. As Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Right? To be content. I have learned to be full and I've learned to be empty. Uh, in sickness or in health, in plenty or in want, whatever it is, I have learned the secret of being content. Wow, that is a, as the old Puritan says, a rare jewel. And so, uh, it, it, these are things that we bring before God and say, God, how is it with me in these matters? Does this attitude of heart and mind reflect my life. That when trouble comes into your life, you're able to, you're not raising a fist, but you say, Lord, you said that you would discipline me if you received me as a son. Lord, what, what child does a parent not discipline? And Lord, I'm going through this, and I'm put in your gymnasium so that I can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So I accept more. 
that I'm going through this hard time right now. Hard time at work, hard time at school, hard time in my marriage, or hard time at my, in my home, or with my, among my friends. There's a conflict which I can't resolve and I can't get beyond. But as a weaned child before its mother, I am content to know that you have ordained not only that I believe, but that I suffer. And that through my suffering, I learn patience. I learn to love other people. I learn to grow in hope. And that's why he says, Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So we see the character, don't we, of the worshiper. Humility, which marked out the Lord Jesus Christ in that great verse in Philippians 2, though he was God, he made himself, what, nothing, and became a servant unto death, even the death of the cross. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Now that's unique to Jesus in one way, but it's the pattern for every believer. Psalm 134 shows the duties then of God's servant, and it is here we are exalted. It is here that we find our reason for living. As we saw this morning in Deuteronomy 29, Hezekiah says to the priests, Sons, be diligent. God has chosen you to stand before him. This is where your honor is. This is where your glory is. This is where you will be exalted. And as you humble yourself before this God and give yourself to his service and his purposes and priorities, this will then be your experience. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. This, is, this was the calling of the Levitical priests, day and night, to stand before the Lord, attending the things of the temple, worshiping and praising him. Like I said this morning, we are all now priests of God through faith in Christ if we believe in him. If we have that saving faith, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So again, we use the same interpretive principle that we used this morning, saying, "How do I get from 800 BC to 2022, January the second, with all this talk of temples and priests?" Well, the New Testament 
gives us that key. Here's the keys. Use those keys. You put them in, and boom, all of a sudden, you're a priest if you're a Christian. To offer spiritual sacrifices, you come with thanksgiving. You say, Lord, you've been so good to me over this Christmas holiday. I've been enjoying friends and family and safety, just experiencing your goodness in such a rich way. And Lord, you've reminded me that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be Emmanuel, God with us, never to leave us, never to stop being a human being. He will always be Emmanuel. He will always be on my side. His blood was shed for me. And what are you doing when you do that when you come to church on Sunday night? You're offering up sacrifices of praise like the old priests came in with the lambs and the bulls and the offerings. You're offering them offerings of your mouth, of your heart. And so comes this cry. Come, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord. That's us. To bless the Lord is simply to declare who he is. To tell of his goodness. It's a different blessing than the blessing that God gives us. But it's, to, it's simply to praise God. To bless and to praise his name. Lifting up hands to the holy place. The idea of lifting up hands is the idea of praying. God is glorified in our prayers when we come and join our hearts. That's why it's important that when the minister or whoever's praying, sometimes other people pray, that it's not you're not listening to a prayer, you're joining in prayer. That's why we often say before we pray, let us join our hearts in prayer. You're augmenting what the person is saying. And we're lifting up our hands. I think that's a wonderful posture. I've seen people do that. And I think it's a beautiful expression when they're praying. I know uh, I was just watching a minister recently in, uh, on, uh, on YouTube uh, in Scotland. And as he was giving his public prayer, he was holding his hands up like this. And it's a beautiful thing. Because it's a posture of you're expecting to receive. You lift up holy hands to God. You're blessing him, but you're also looking for a blessing to come down. Paul says that he wants men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. First Timothy 2 and verse 8. Lift up holy hands in prayer. Did Jesus not say that, his, that the temple was to be a, a place of prayer for all nations? Prayer was to be a mechanism through which God is to be glorified. And it's such an important thing that we do here in Disable, and such an important component part of our service. It's not really a worship service unless we pray. And we've expected these things from God. So he says, lift up your, lift up your hands in holy place and bless the Lord. Come, open your mouth, says God, and I will fill them. Lift up your hands, and I will fill them. Because God is glorified in the hearing and the answering of our prayers. And bless the Lord. And may the Lord bless you from Zion, who made heaven and earth. We bless God, but we also receive his blessing. 
one commentator said, to bless God is to acknowledge gratefully what he is. But to bless man, God must make him, make of him what he is not and give him what he has not. We are simply, when we bless God, we're simply declaring what he is. When God blesses us, he makes of us something we were not before. And that's the wonderful thing. We come looking for transformation. To be blessed by God is to be changed by God, isn't it? That's what this, the, the pilgrim is looking for as he journeys to uh, uh, Jerusalem. That's what these psalms of ascent were teaching them. Along the way, look, you are not going to come back from that place the same. You're going to Zion where God has, what's he say in Psalm 103? Look at it, we looked at it last week. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, if you were a pilgrim going, and you were singing that as you went, would you expect to be the same when you came back? You shouldn't. Neither should you expect to be the same when you go to church. There's something wrong if we have not changed when we come from church. If we are not more at peace. If we are not more thankful. If we are not more diligent. If our hearts are not humble, oh, friends, there's, there's something wrong if we can come in and, and, and read God's word and sing. Oh, I hope we can come back and sing. Uh, uh, you know, these uh, psalms and response are good, but uh, I, we need to get back to singing. If we're not changed by these things, and to be changed, I mean blessed. If you, if, whenever you're blessed, you're changed. Even if it means walking out the door, feeling a little less about yourself, a little bit more of Jesus. That's a blessing. That's a changing. And that's what he says in Psalm 103. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life from evermore. So he says here, may the Lord bless you from Zion. He made We should be walking out of church differently. And if we're not, say, Lord, why am I the same? Why am I feeling? Why is my attitude towards life's problems the same? Why is my attitude toward that person at work the same? Why am I still discontented? Why am I still angry all the time? Lord, I, I, I was not blessed. I did not receive your blessing. But Lord, I should have, because you have said here that you were blessed. And so you go back to God. There were times like that in the history of Israel, wasn't there? God was withholding his blessing. Withhold, withhold the bolts. I'm holding it back. But people just didn't say, oh, well, whatever. I guess that's the way you like it. No, they said, they went to the Lord and said, Lord, why is it that our flocks are failing? Why is it that things are going awry around us all the time? Why is it, Lord, that people are at one another's throats? And God withholds, and then God reveals. And we go to God in the same way. God says to us, Are you taking me seriously? Are you taking my salvation seriously? I told you about the death and resurrection of my son, and you treated it as if it were nothing. You get more excited over a sale of Walmart than you do 
the glorious gospel. And then we say, why is God not blessing me? Or we, God, as I said at the beginning, puts his fingers on things in our lives that need to change, and we don't change them. We want to hold on to them. And then we go to God and say, Lord, I just feel the same about my Christian faith that I've always felt. Why is that? Well, James explains it to us. We ask and do not receive because we ask and miss. James says uh, our prayers can be messed up because we're not really prepared to do what God would have us to do. May the Lord bless you from Zion. It's from Zion that we enjoy these blessings. Zion where Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. And so that passage we read in Hebrews 12, or rather, uh, in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 22, it talks about Jesus' sacrifice there. Then Hebrews 12, and 20, uh, verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable angels in festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. And now listen, verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out vengeance from the ground. He wanted his life to be avenged against Cain. Jesus' blood cries out in mercy. This is where we find the blessing of God. This is why the psalmist says, May the Lord bless you from Zion, not from some other town in Judah, not some other part of the world, but there God has commanded the blessing forevermore. It was there that the Prince of Glory died. It was there that atonement was made for our sins. It was there that the doorway to heaven was flung wide open. It was there where God redeemed the world. It was, and it's there where we meet with God's blessing. We cannot find God's blessing anywhere else in the world unless we come through that door. There's only one door. There's only one way into that kingdom. May God bless you from Zion. It's in Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians, that he has blessed us with all heavenly blessings, blessings in Christ in the heavens. And so, friends, we, we come to the end of these psalms of ascent, these psalms of journey, psalms of drawing up, psalms of pilgrimage. A pilgrimage where there are many temptations and attractions along the way, Many dangers, many things that can pull us away. But we have seen in the Psalms of Ascent what the end is indeed. Mount Zion. The place where God has commanded his blessing forevermore. We're going to Zion. We're going to the kingdom of heaven. And now God has commanded his blessing. That's why we must humble our hearts. This is a dangerous journey. But we have one another. 
We have God's promises. We have the light of his word. Are we humble enough then tonight, as the psalmist was speaking in Psalm 131, not to be saying, look, lifting up our eyes and being drawn away by the ambitions of this life to the destruction of our soul, but being able, like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, to keep the eyes focused on the, the celestial city as he goes. He's got the word of God to guide him and direct him. That's where humility is your safety. That's where humility is not only a beautiful thing to God, it is your safety. And it's going to bring you through because when you're not distracted by the, the things of the world, but you're willing to, at any given moment, to say, yes, Lord, whatever your will is, then you're on a safe path. Because you're coming at it the exact way Jesus came at it. And it's through his humility and his brokenness that he won salvation for our own souls. Let's pray. Lord, tonight we, we confess that so often our hearts are proud and lifted up. Lord, we are ambitious when it comes to so many things in our lives. And so much so that you take a back seat. Lord, we know that these things have to change, for we are not on a safe course. It, we may be applauded by the world. The world may applaud us for our ambition and our self-aggrandizement. But Lord, we know that the devil often sets traps for us. Help us, Lord, to cultivate a lowly, humble heart, like a weaned child before its mother. Father, and to this end, help us to find our, our being, not in the world, not in money or in privilege, but in serving you, in knowing you, and in making you known. We ask it all in the name of Jesus.